verses 16 through 30. I'll give you a minute to get there. Hear now the word of the Lord, Matthew eleven sixteen through 30. But to what shall I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their playmates. We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. Then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done, because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought back down to Hades, for if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have, been, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to the little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will, and all things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. When Pastor Matt asked me if I wanted to preach, uh, I very excitedly said yes. I made a deal with myself when I started seminary that any opportunity I had to get up and talk in front of people, I would take it. That being said, I was immediately nervous after I left because this is my first time speaking from a pulpit. Um, Yes, that is just for your sympathy later. But as I went away and started to think about what I should talk about, I genuinely was drawing a blank. I didn't know how to make something really relevant for my students who are graduating and moving on, and also relevant to people that are well-aged out of that demographic. Um, And so to try and tie that together, luckily the Word of God can do that, but to try and tie that together, I started to look at my life and look for patterns as to what maybe the Lord was showing me. And... Over the course of the past couple months, I have been asked multiple times a very simple question, how are you doing? I've been asked that by family, by friends, by Pastor Matt, by people at my work, by teachers, and my answer, I started to realize, was the same. I'm doing good, but I'm I'm tired. I'm really tired. And I began to wonder, why am I saying I'm tired? Because my wife will attest to this, I value getting good physical rest at night. Uh, I get over six to seven hours a night, and we have a two-year-old. I prioritize getting that sleep. I, I make sure of it because I don't function well. My wife is not the same. She functions well on no sleep. I can't function with no sleep. I'm basically useless the following day. So I prioritize good sleep, and I prioritize a good shower. Those two things are important to me. So I, I didn't understand why I constantly was telling people I'm tired when I was getting good rest at night. And then it hit me why I was tired was I was weary. It's a different form of tired. My soul was weary. We've gone through quite the season of life with a lot of highs and a lot of lows, deaths in the family, changing of jobs, moving, our daughter turning into a toddler who's a two-year-old now, going to school, 
all of that was just weighing on me. And so when people were asking me how I was doing, I felt the weight of those things in my life, and I would express that in the word of, of tired. But I think the better word to express was weary, and we see that here in our text, and we'll get there. A couple of years ago, the New York Times put out a study that said that one edition of the New York Times had more information in it than a person amassed in their entire life in the 17th century. That paper that you read, more information in it than one edition, than a person amasses in their entire life in the 17th century. Now compare that to this that I carry with me everywhere. How much information is on here and how much I amass? I bet you it takes a couple days and I have more than most people in the 17th century. We live in a bombardment culture, a culture that is constantly bombarding you with things. I know that you can relate to this whether you're 80 or whether you're 12. There is so much media thrown at you every day. And if it's not actually on a device, it's your neighbor talking to you about something they heard on their media. Or it's the pastor telling you something that he heard on his media. Or it's the book that you read that has been republished for the 20th edition. It doesn't matter. We are surrounded by information. And we can't process it all. And so we are weary. Um, I was reading this article about a teacher who retired from an Ivy League school. And the reason she gave for retiring was that she couldn't keep up with the pace of life anymore. She said, I used to come in, I would teach my class, I would go to my office hours, and then I would go home. Now, if I don't respond to a text at 9 at night or at 6 in the morning from a student, I get angry emails from the dean or from the students. My job never stops. I can't keep up with the pace of life, so I need to retire. She wasn't that old when she retired. The idea I'm getting at here is that... (laughs) We're constantly, as Second Corinthians says, being pressed on every side but not crushed, perplexed but not in despair, persecuted but not abandoned, struck down but not destroyed. We're under the gun, and we've been under the gun since Paul wrote that back in Second Corinthians. The solution for that is here in our text that we're about to dive into. The solution for that is we need good rest. We need that kind of rest where you wake up and you don't know what day it is. Or you take that deep breath and you're like, now I feel ready for the day. We need that for our souls. And that's the kind of rest that Jesus promises. But there's some, some criteria we got to meet to get there. I know that that doesn't sound as fun. We just want the, the instant gratification. I myself am an instant gratification person. I want the reward without any of the work, but that's not what's required of us. It will make the rest more satisfying. So before we can get into Matthew eleven sixteen through 30, we need to talk about what's been going on leading up to this point. We've been going through Mark, and so I know that I'm taking a break from Mark and going into Matthew. It's another gospel. But remember, Matthew's audience was the Jews. He was writing. That's why the beginning of Matthew starts with the lineage to prove who Jesus said he was. So Matthew is really writing to this Jewish audience. So a lot of the references we see throughout this text are going to be related to a Jewish audience. Remember, different audience than Mark, which is who we've been talking about. In Matthew 10, he has just sent out his 12, to preach, to heal, to perform miracles. All of Matthew 10 is about these instructions to the 12 disciples of what they're going to go deliver. But Jesus instructs them, go to the Jewish cities, not to the cities of the Gentile, go to our Jewish cities. And so clearly, we're leading into Jesus really honing in on what are the Jews doing right and what are the Jews doing wrong and what is the result of that. So he sent out his 12, he's alone. And it says at the beginning of Matthew 11 here, When Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. So then Jesus goes out to teach and preach. So he sends out the 12 and he goes out and teaches and preaches. 
Sometimes I think it's easier to think of Jesus just with the disciples, just following them everywhere they went. But in, in many cases, Jesus is teaching and preaching without them present. They had a job to do as well. And so he sends out the 12. They're out doing their thing. And Jesus goes into the cities to teach and preach. And he gets this message from John. John is saying, hey, um, I'm hearing a lot about you. Are you the one that I prophesied about? John really wants to know, is this the guy that I was told to prophesy about? Because we've just finished John in the desert, baptizing, preaching. And Jesus basically answers, yes, I'm the one that you prophesied about. And so Jesus is here confirming, I am the Son of Man, I am the Messiah. So that's going to lead to the conflict that we see in our verses in Matthew eleven sixteen is that Jesus is claiming, I'm the Son of Man, I'm the Messiah. I'm the one that John has, has prophesied about. He then goes on to regale John as this amazing man, no one on earth is greater than John, yet the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John. That's going to lead into our text where we're going to ask three questions today. The first is, are we hearing God's gospel or our own? Jesus is claiming that he's going to bring the kingdom of heaven, but it's going to be different. And that kingdom is for anyone who will hear. So we have a different kingdom picture here. And that's what's going to lead to this controversy. Because as you know, Jesus was constantly in controversy with the Pharisees. And so we see here at the beginning of our text in Matthew eleven sixteen. He says, what shall I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their playmates. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. Jesus is likening himself and John to the flute and to the dirge. What he's saying here is you Jewish people, specifically Pharisees, but I'm going to make sure we remember it's not just the Pharisees who rejected Jesus. They weren't the only ones who wanted him crucified. There was a lot of Jewish people involved in that you did not respond correctly to John's message and you're not responding correctly to me. He's calling them out and saying, you're like children in the marketplaces. When you hear a flute, you're not dancing. The market was a a public place. It was a public forum. There was celebration there. When a flute was playing, there was a dancing and celebration that went on. Well, Jesus is likening these Jews to the children who are not dancing. They're not, you're not receiving me well is what Jesus is claiming here. You're not receiving my message well. You're not hearing my words. The Pharisees were notably very choosy, critical, picky, never satisfied with John or Jesus' message. We see that throughout the New Testament that the Pharisees are constantly attacking Jesus. In verses 16 and 17, that's where we, we see them being choosy. And in verses 18 and 19, they're slandering Jesus and John, saying, John, we don't like you. You're a little bit eccentric. You're a little bit weird. We don't really get what you're saying. You don't really fit with what we think is correct. And we see that in verses 18. For John came neither eating nor drinking. That's different. Why aren't you partaking in what we partake in, John? Be a part of what we have decided is the correct culture. And then with Jesus, they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Well, Jesus, you're associating with the wrong people. So John, you don't fit with us, and Jesus, you're associating with the wrong people. Either way, we don't want any part of it. We're not satisfied with what you're bringing. We'll wait for the next Messiah. The Pharisees aren't aren't satisfied with this. And so, when you see this throughout scripture where the Pharisees are quarreling and testing Jesus constantly, we see that in Mark. We've talked about a couple recently, Mark 8 and Mark 10, and then we'll see it again in Matthew 16. They're trying to poke holes in Jesus' claim to be king because they don't want to accept that he's their Messiah. They don't want to accept the word that he, he's brought to them. And they aren't satisfied with the truth. And my question for you is, are you? Are you satisfied with that truth? Because in order to get to that good rest, you first have to be satisfied with the message that Jesus brought. The kingdom is now. Jesus brought a different kingdom to this earth. 
The Pharisees, rightly so in some ways, were upset about the way that they've been treated. They were told that they were God's chosen people, and yet Jesus didn't come in to destroy all the enemies of God. Jesus didn't come in to remove the kings that had oppressed them and, and promote them to be rulers of the world again. No, Jesus came in to save all, and I don't think that would sit well. And frankly, if we're honest, I don't think that always sits well with us. When we see someone who has wronged us, it's natural for us to want them to get their just desserts. We want to see justice done our way. We want to see our kingdom, our gospel done the way that we see fit. As long as God aligns with that, I think we're all great at hearing the gospel. As long as we can tell God, hey, this person, that wasn't very nice, and that's your enemy, God, so I need you to go punish them. And he does that, great. We're happy to follow the Lord. But what happens when God says, turn the other cheek and love your enemy the way Jesus did? Well, that doesn't sit well with the Pharisees who, who are looking at the Old Testament going, but we're the chosen people. Not them. They're not the chosen people. We're the chosen people. The, the tax collectors, Jesus, that's not the chosen people. Come be with us. Come be in the synagogues with us. Obey the Mosaic Covenant. Let's, let's talk about those things. Don't associate with them. They're not the chosen people. Are you hearing God's gospel or your own? Are you willing to accept what God has brought? Because in order to experience good rest, first you have to be on the same page with God. You need to be on the same page with what God is doing in your life, and you need to be on the same page with what God wants for the world, not your own version of it. We can't begin to experience good rest until we reject our own way of doing things. I can tell you from experience, my own way of doing things doesn't lead to rest. My own way of doing things is escaping from problems, whether that's in TV or video games or whether that's with friends. My own way of doing things is trying to circumnavigate God's plan for my life because I don't really want to go to more school. My way of doing things is finding anything to put in the way of hard issues in my life. But that just leaves me more tired and wondering why I'm more tired and the pattern continues. I can tell you in the moments, and it's not, I'm, I'm up here preaching as someone who is going through it. And it's not something I'm an expert at, but in the moments where I really press into what God is doing and hear his gospel, I take a deep breath, that big exhale that we all want to take, and just feel good. I feel like I'm, I'm right with the world, and that's because I'm listening to the Lord. My next question for you. Are your ears open and your hearts open to the hidden things that Jesus talks about? Are your ears open and your hearts open to these hidden things? We go to verse 20. And we get Jesus denouncing these cities. He denounces the cities where his mighty works have been done because they did not repent. He calls out a couple of cities here, um, Capernaum, Bethsaida, and he compares them to Sidom and Tyre. Well, Sidom and Tyre and Sodom, you guys know Sodom from the Old Testament, Sodom and Gomorrah, pretty evil places, what we would consider to be evil. Yet Jesus is saying they would have repented had they seen the miracles I've performed and yet you're not repenting. There is a greater accountability if you have seen God's work and you do not repent. Woe to the Western church who has seen God work and does not repent. Woe to the people that look at God's miracles and write it off. We are always trying to explain it off. I went to CU Boulder, and I loved my education there, but it's a very liberal school with some liberal thoughts. And in many, many classes, there's always an explanation that doesn't involve God for many things that are just God-given. That's the world we live in. We can't ignore that. We can't ignore that everyone wants to explain away God's role in things. Um, you see a TV show, and it's a silly example, but you see someone say, well, destiny really brought us here, or fate. There's this idea that something is at work, but we're not going to give credit to God. Because if we were to give credit to God, 
we'd have to accept that there is a God. And what does that mean in my life? As soon as you accept that there is a God, it means a lot in your life. So he's condemning these cities. He basically says, there's a greater accountability for you Jews who have rejected me. And we look at Isaiah 53, where Jesus says, or where Isaiah writes, Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told them they see and that which they have not heard they understand. Who has believed what he has heard from us and to whom has the arm of the Lord revealed? Isaiah is writing and describing Jesus here and saying that there's an active role that the Father plays in revealing the secrets. We don't like this idea of hidden things that Jesus goes on to say here um, when he says at the end, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you've hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to the little children. That doesn't necessarily sit right with me and maybe it doesn't with you, the idea that God would withhold things. Well, why are you hiding it, God? Don't you want it to be revealed to everyone? Well, that's not really what Jesus is saying. The word hidden comes from the word krufo, which means to hide, conceal, or cover. That's an active choice God is making to hide it and to reveal it. Well, he's revealing it to anyone who is willing to put aside their own wisdom and understanding and their own way of doing things and say, God, I am here just dependent on you the way children are dependent. Notice the word Jesus uses as children. We have a two-year-old. I love her to death, but she is so dependent on us for everything. I am an independent person, and I want to teach independence, and I just want her to be independent in so many areas. But she's so dependent. Well, Jesus is telling us the people that it's revealed to are the ones who are dependent on me and on my Father. Depend on God, and he will reveal these hidden things to you. When you depend on your own wisdom, your own understanding, your own way of doing things, you're blind to what God is doing, and you're blind to the hidden things. And the Pharisees are who he's talking about here. They have their way. They've set up the religion their way. They know what they're doing. They don't need God. They, you know, God is sort of their interactive tool of like, well, aren't we pious, God? Well, yes, we are. Thank you. They're just going back and forth. But Jesus is attacking them, saying, you, won't, you don't really understand what God is trying to reveal to you the way that Isaiah was, was prophesying about. There is a role that God plays in revealing it to us. And so you need to be able to answer yes to the two questions I've asked. One, are you hearing God's gospel? And two, are your hearts open to it? Are you dependent on God? If the answer is yes to that, then we can finally get to where we can experience that rest. So my last question is, what are you yoked to? What are you yoked to? So for those of you that don't know, a yoke means you're tired, tied to something. Um, in the old days, in the agrarian culture that the Jews would have been in, they would have understood this reference to being oxen or mule or some form of animal. I have an example up here for you to look at. You'll notice that you see two oxen here. One of those oxen would be the lead ox, and one of them would be following, and their, their job was to plow the field with the direction of the driver. Well, in these verses, Jesus is going to talk about what it means to be yoked to him, but the first question is, what are you yoked to? What are you tied to? What in your life is actually leading you? What is your guide? Christ wants to be your guide, and that's our secret to good rest, and we'll get there, but you first have to ask yourself, what am I currently yoked to? If it's not Christ, which for a lot of us, it, it isn't every day, what is it? Is it your spouse, who that's good intention, but should your spouse be the only thing leading you in your life? I hope not, because they're a broken human like you are, and I don't think you'd want all the pressure of leading one person correctly forever on your back. Is it your job? Are you yoked to your job? Is your life defined by the success you have at work? 
Is it defined by that promotion or what your boss thinks of you or what your coworkers think of you? Are you yoked to your kids? If your kids tell you they hate you, does your world crumble? If your kids tell you they love you, do you feel like I'm doing everything right? What are you yoked to? Now, these aren't bad things. Notice I named three things that aren't bad things. I don't think Jesus is saying that we can't have value in these things, but he needs to be the thing we're yoked to. I'm going to give you another example, and and to do that, I'm going to bring up two of my friends here, Dennis and David. They're going to come up here, and we're going to give you a little demonstration of, I think, what Jesus is getting at here, a little visual example. So Dennis is going to come up first. He's going to help me move my table here. Perfect. All right, Dennis, I'm going to have you stand over here, actually. I'm going to give you your box. So... This symbolizes Dennis's burdens. For me, I'm not going to make him be vulnerable in a minute. For me, school would go in here, my marriage, my child, work, things like that. Think about the things you're burdened with every day. I'm going to hand it to you. Go ahead and stand over here. I'm going to talk for a second, then I'll have you demonstrate. Now, Dennis can't let go of those burdens. Just like us, I, I wish. I so wish we were in heaven right now and I had no more burdens. But sadly, that's not the way life works. I wish I had a get-out-of-jail-free card for one day of no burdens. That's not how life works either. I wake up and I have the burdens. And I make progress on some. You know, I make a little bit further in school, but then more come up. I'm sorry to tell you, but you're, you're taxed for life with burdens. That's just, that's just what we signed up for. Um, luckily, when you believe in Jesus Christ, there's a hope for those burdens, but you're taxed for life with them. So Dennis can't put those down. He has those burdens no matter what. Now, Dennis, can you go ahead and tie your shoe for me? Can't set it down. Sorry. No? No. Okay. Can you wave at your parents? You want to try? Okay. All right. I mean, that was progress. And then, uh, Dennis, why don't you go ahead and look up John 3.16 for me? Yeah. (laughs) That's kind of what I figured. I'm going to go over what these three things mean at the end, but I'm actually going to ask his friend here, David, to come up and help him out. David's a good friend, and he volunteered to come help him. So, David, I'm going to give you my backpack to symbolize your burdens. You're a little bit further along in life. Maybe you have a couple more tips and tricks on how to carry burdens effectively rather than a box. I'll give you a backpack. Um, Will you take half of his box, and then will you both tie your shoes? Yeah, I mean, you could try with one hand if you wanted to, but I don't know how well it will go. I bet you you can do this. Will you wave at your folks? Nice. We're able to accomplish that. And then um, I'll give you this Bible. Will you look up John 3.16, and will you look up a verse in the Bible for me? A little bit easier, right? Manageable, but still a little bit hard, right? He's getting there. <laughs> you got it? Do we need to go over downstairs where John 3.16 is in the Bible? Got it? Perfect. That's all I needed was just you to get it for me. All right, hand the, uh, hand the box back to Dennis. Everybody give David a hand. That's all I needed from you, David. Thank you. He has important jobs upstairs, so I didn't want to take him for too long. All right, Dennis, why don't you come on over here to the table? Now, set your box on the table. You just have to be touching the table at all times. You can touch it with any part of your body, your hip, your leg, your shoulder. It doesn't matter to me. 
You can let go of the box as long as you're touching the table. Will you tie your shoe? I'm going to show everybody that you can, in fact, tie your shoe. Maybe. <laughs> Got to untie it first. Perfect. And do you think, while still touching the table, you can wave at your parents? One more time. They deserve another wave from you. Perfect. And then will you just show me that you can open and close the Bible to any verse? Awesome. Go ahead and give Dennis a hand. Will you help me move the table back real quick? All right. Well, Dennis is finding his seat. I'll explain what that silly demonstration was meant to, meant to uh, show. Hopefully you can understand it after I finish explaining it. The idea of being yoked here, give it back to my verse here. We carry our burdens wherever we go. We can't put them down. The littlest things become hard to do when we're heavy burdened. When we're carrying the weight of the world, tying our shoe, silly example, hard to do. Finding a verse in the Bible, getting in God's word, hard to do. Saying hi to family, hard to do. Now, the next thing we tend to do which I still would argue is not the correct response right away, is we go to our friends, we go to our family, we go to our neighbor, we go to our spouse, we go to somebody we love, and we say, hey, will you help me with these burdens? I just can't carry them. I'm really struggling. Well, guess what? They got burdens too. So you're asking them, one, to figure out a way to carry their burdens and yours, which is okay. We're supposed to come together as a community. I'm not arguing against this, but what I'm saying is the first response should be to go to Christ with our burdens. Christ is a firm foundation, that table, as long as Dave Dennis stayed next to it and touched it, his burdens were there. Christ took the burdens for him. And then Dennis is able to function and do these things that he wants to do. The requirement, however, as you can see in my picture of these ox, is that you have to stay with Christ. That following ox can't go, hey, thanks for taking the weight. I'm going to go do my own thing. That ox that's following the lead ox is required to stay with that lead ox. Now, the lead ox carries more weight and leads the correct way, but that you have to stay with them. And so in order to get that good rest, there's an element of submission and obedience. We got to hear God's word. We got to hear his gospel and we have to obey. To really, really experience that good rest, there's an element of obedience and following who you're yoked to. I think as we read these last verses... Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. The word heavy laden could be substituted with weary, burdened, tired, discouraged, despair, loss. I know that one of those words probably hit you in your soul. I know that at some point recently, or at least at some point in your life, you've gone through those feelings. And it can feel really hard to know what to do. Because nothing you can really do is going to fix it. And it's an uphill battle when you fight it alone. And so I'm going to give you a couple of tips to experience that good rest. For my high schoolers, as you go forth in your next season and for the rest of us, the first thing I'm going to tell you is that we need to strap into Christ's yoke. You need to submit to your Heavenly Father and strap into what He has for you. Be yoked to Jesus. 
He says it here. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy. If you take Jesus' yoke upon you and obey what the Lord has in here, his word, he gave us his word. It's not a hidden thing to you, those who are listening. His, His yoke is light. It's easy. Those things that are weighing you down suddenly become less important because you're following what God has for you. They're not the center of your focus every day of how do I finish this or how do I do that? How do I obey you, Lord? Well, you'd find that the Lord actually gives you those answers every day in your life. You'll find that you'll have that rest. The second thing is that you can get that good rest. Uh, A pastor that I look up to that really inspired me to become a pastor named Eugene Cho gave an example at a conference that I was at many, many years ago at a Christian camp conference where he talked about this phrase, the grass is greener. How many of you guys know that phrase, the grass is greener on the other side? Yeah. We all, we all know it, and we all honestly, if we're honest with ourselves, experience that. The grass is greener. Fill in whatever word you want for grass. That job is greener. That marriage looks greener. Those kids look greener. That financial situation sure does look greener. That life looks greener on the other side. Well, Eugene Cho was convinced, and I'm convinced, that if you're feeling that, if you're feeling that desire to just go to something else, I just got to, it looks better over there than what I'm going through, then that is the Holy Spirit pleading with you to rest and seek refuge in Christ. The Holy Spirit is pleading with you, rest in me and seek refuge in Christ, and also water the grass you're standing in. Water your spouse, water your kids, water your job, water your life, water the field that you're yoked to Christ in, and you will find rest for your souls. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this opportunity to get up and speak your word out of Matthew to these people. Thank you that you promise us rest in seasons of weariness and feeling burdened and feeling tired. Thank you that as these high schoolers go on to their next steps in life and start to face more challenges and accumulate more burdens for their backpacks and their boxes, that you are there with them, guiding them through it all, and that if they will just hear you and listen to you, that you promise them a rest when they are yoked to you and that it is light, that your burden is light. I pray that as we go about this next week and through our next seasons, that we would yoke ourselves to you, take that deep breath, and experience the good rest that you have for us. I pray this in your name. Amen. You have heard God's good word this morning, and I know that what God led Tyler to preach on, I know that that's something that each of you can absolutely relate to, but thankfully we're not by ourselves. Tyler reminded us so much about our, the, the Christ that we can be connected to and yoked to. What about you this morning? You may, be, you may have been spending so much time trying to do all of this on your own, and you're just flat worn out. Well, we're not meant to do that. He's meant to carry us. And so when he died on the cross and rose from the grave, he came to live not only in you, but to walk with you every step of the way. Trust Jesus this morning as we stand together and sing this wonderful hymn that's coming.
grateful we could all be here today and i'm scanning out diego you're graduating as well aren't you brother the carreros are friends of arbc and you all are gonna be heading back east real soon aren't you how soon is soon 
<laughs> okay, next week. But congratulations, Diego. We're very proud of you. And uh, Emilio, I know you're heading to the high school as well. That's a big deal too. Hey, whenever we end up getting into these next steps and these next uh, chapters, it's a, it's just a joyous thing. If you happen to be a guest with us, don't leave too soon. We'd love to have a chance to get to know you a little bit better and love to know how God brought you our way. Um, but I, I know that this morning, and Tyler, thank you for feeding us the word so, so well this morning. And uh, so I'm going to ask Tyler and those who are graduating, those of you, the graduates, I'm going to ask you to do one more thing. We want to give everybody that's graduating, and Tyler, you as well, um, a proper ARBC piece of encouragement because uh, we, were, we were real blessed this morning. And for those of you who are graduating, we're praying for you. Whatever God has in store for you, we're praying for you that he'll be with you the whole way. All right. Wayne Peterson is going to close us in a word of prayer. He is our deacon of the week this week. We do have a members meeting tonight at five o'clock. So we have some business to take care of. We can't do it without you. And that's not hyperbole. We cannot do it without you. So hopefully we can have you all come and be a part of what God's doing here at ARBC. Wayne, thank you so much. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning, which reminds us that even though our burdens are heavy, your burden is light. And uh, we just need to look to you and trust you in all things, the ups and downs of life, the things that we're going to experience this week. Thank you that your burden is light and we can turn to you in all things. Write these things in Jesus' name. Amen.